Welcome back. You are listening to the It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy podcast, and I'm your host, Kevin Brady. Through my own experiences as a lifelong athlete, community volunteer, author, and company founder, I'm on a mission to educate, inspire, and motivate individuals of all ages to improve all aspects of their health and live their best life to the fullest. I built my company, Advoca Health, based on this mission. Advocate Health assists companies and individuals navigate the very best health solutions both at home and in the world. On this podcast, I meet with industry-leading experts and partners with the aim to share simple strategies and tips to help you live a healthier, longer, and happier life. Sit back and enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brady. We're in for an amazing show today. I'm super excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. Jeff uh, runs a clinic called Gladden Longevity out of Dallas, Texas. It's a clinic that I've attended. Many of our Advoca members have uh, attended as well. And today we get into uh, anti-aging, longevity, Jeff answers some questions around aging and what we can do to prevent aging and really what we can do to live a very long and healthy life. Please join me today and welcome our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. Perfect. Okay, I'd like to uh, welcome Dr. Jeffrey Gladden to our podcast today. Jeff, great to see you. Great to see you, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great. Um, now, listen, I'm looking at your background here, and it looks like you're on a beach somewhere. So actually, where are you right now? <laughs> I'm in Dallas, Dallas, Texas at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. at your clinic at Gladden Longevity? At Gladden Longevity. Yeah, we're here at the clinic. Uh, I have this background up because uh, it represents a sense of hope for most people when they look at it. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Well, I know you've been uh, personally traveling over the last year. Uh, COVID hasn't really stopped you in any way from what I could see. So uh, congratulations on that. No, I, I started traveling back in August. I actually had COVID back in February before people, or March, but before people really knew what was going on and confirmed that with antibody tests. And then, um, you know, I think... Um, you know, we started traveling again in August because we felt like we had immunity, uh, and beyond immunity, we actually knew how to how to take care of ourselves from the standpoint of being preventive. Um, and then also, if we felt ourselves coming down with something, we knew how to basically step in and and stop it. And so, I've had to pull that trigger maybe four or five times in the last year where I felt like I was coming down with something, but then I'd wake up the next morning perfectly fine. So. I really think, um, you know, it's a very manageable situation. I mean, there are people that are at high risk. I don't consider myself at high risk. Obviously had it and came through just fine. So I've uh, probably taken 20 or 20 plus trips since last August all over the US and Puerto Rico and Miami, California, Colorado. Um, I don't know, I, it's just, it, you know, you wear a mask on the plane, but uh, we don't really, we don't really feel intimidated by it at all at this point. So yeah, yeah, no, I could tell that just because uh, you and I connect. Uh, uh, just for our audience, Jeff and I are uh, good friends, but uh, Jeff is also my longevity. I'll call uh, anti-aging doc my uh, go-to doc, uh, and also uh, looks after many of our advocate members as well. So uh, thank you for that. But in following yeah. you, and every time we've connected, you've seemed to be somewhere on a ski hill or. You know where, but uh, that's why I actually asked where you were. <laughs> well, I actually, just, I was just in Colorado past this past weekend, and I did a a uh, a three generational mountain bike ride for the first time. I've got a grandson that's uh, not quite three years old; he's about two years and eight months. And my son has a special saddle that he sits on. It runs between the head post and the seat, and then he holds on the handlebars. His feet are kind of strapped into these little stirrups. And I'll tell you, we. We climbed 1,500 feet in Colorado, and he descends. He loves it. He wears a full-face helmet. I mean, it, but it was so special to be mountain biking with my grandson, and I want to be doing that 20 years from now, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's the whole idea. So it was yeah, super. 
Yeah, good for you. And I know uh, you and I have the same values when it comes to that and, uh, you know, continuing to do activities, you know, into our, well into our 80s, 90s or 100s. And why not, right? If, yeah, if absolutely. Which is, which is really the, uh, the topic of our discussion today. But Jeff, for our uh, listeners, uh, if I could uh, maybe just ask you, I know you've uh, um, had a turning point in your life, which I would call a turning point. And I know you're, you're obviously yep. a super qualified uh, cardiologist and you've moved your practice into anti-aging and longevity, which I love. But would you mind just sharing kind of what I would call your origins or your, your background and, and yeah. in terms of your story? Yeah, happy to do that. So I went to medical school at Temple in Philadelphia, and then I was at Case Western for internal medicine, the University of Colorado for my cardiology and I came to Texas in 88 uh, to practice interventional cardiology, right? Uh, stopping heart attacks, doing angioplasty, then subsequently stents and things like that. And I ended up doing a lot of things in 25 years there. I built my own heart group. We had 10 offices, a dozen doctors. We flew around in a little A36 Bonanza to service outlying areas, started cath labs, co-founded a heart hospital here, been involved with, um, pharma startups and medical device startups and things like that. But, but I got sick in my fifties. Um, and, and then I, I had testing done and I was told, Hey, uh, you know, everything checks out. You're just getting older and, um, maybe you should take an antidepressant. And <clears throat> that really flipped a switch for me because, you know, as we've been talking about, I love to mountain bike, snowboard, uh, surf, uh, et cetera, run, you know, and, and, for the first time in my life, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to keep up with my kids. And that was a real sort of look in more look at mortality in the face kind of moment for me, right? And and I felt like, no, I'm not going to accept this. And so and that's when I threw myself into integrative medicine, functional medicine, age management medicine. And over two and a half years, I actually cracked the code for myself in terms of what was going on. And <clears throat> once I figured that out. Um, I realized that, you know, I've actually been practicing sick care, not healthcare, um, and that we don't have a healthcare system at all. We actually have a sick care system and nobody has health insurance. They all have sick insurance because you only, you only access it when you're sick. And the concept of wellness is a very, very weak concept because an executive physical, uh, et cetera, is essentially applying sick care modalities to look and see if you have disease. And if you don't have disease then you're considered well, and then they pat you on the back and say, eat a little better and exercise a little more and we'll see you back in a year. Um, so I've realized that when I was practicing sick care, I was asking certain questions like, are you having shortness of breath or chest pain or things like that? But once I started feeling really good again and I realized that I didn't really wanna practice sick care, I started asking different questions. And I started to ask, I wonder how good I can be. You know, if I can feel this good again in my 50s, I wonder how good I can be, how fit, how strong, and how mentally sharp, and how many years and decades can I carry that forward? And that's led into two other empowering questions for us, which is, you know, how do we make 100 to the new 30? And how do you live well, quote unquote, well beyond 120? And we have a podcast, as you know, called Living Beyond 120, which you can check out at livingbeyond120.com. <clears throat> um, but the whole idea of longevity is interesting because a lot of people talk about, well, I want to live to be 90, 100, 120, 150, you know, 300, whatever, whatever people are throwing around. But I find that incredibly difficult to relate to, right? Everybody that I've seen that's 100 years old, I don't really want to look like that. I don't really yeah. want to be like that, right? Yeah. And imagine what you're going to be like at 120. It's just like, that's not necessarily the prettiest picture, right? So, so I started to think about it and I thought, you know, the thing that really appeals to me is actually being young and staying young. And so it's like, well, let's, let's go back in time. Let's actually go back and reclaim um, where we were in our 20s, our 30s, <clears throat> or whatever it is, and then leverage technology, if you will, uh, in the true healthcare space and longevity space and performance space to actually maintain that for years and decades to come. And so that's become our philosophy. And those are the empowering questions that we, that we ask right now. Yeah. And you know what, it's, I know that because I've visited your clinic on, uh, on numerous occasions, but 
Yeah. You know, what you remind me of is, uh, as you know, I do a lot of speaking uh, internationally. And one of the questions I ask uh, to uh, president and CEO groups is, who wants to live to 100? And guess guess what percentage typically put up their hand? If I'm speaking to 100 people, guess how many want to say they yeah, want it's to probably, live to 100? It's probably four or 5%, maybe yeah. 10 at most. Yeah, three to five, right? Yeah. Okay. And then I rephrase the question and I say, if you are, if you're in the condition you're in today and you're active and healthy and you're vibrant and you can still walk and hike and ski and everything else, now who wants to live to a hundred and, yeah, and the percentage the goes up. Yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. goes, yeah, that's yeah. how I want to be. And I think that's what you're saying. You're saying, you know, nobody wants to live. And I'll say the way North Americans and probably worldwide now are living today, which is the last third of their life. Um, not in great shape, right? They're surviving, right. not living, right? That's and, right. And from what I gather, you flip that equation. They could say, you know, how do I, how do we live vibrantly, energetically, passionately, loving life, have that LL attitude, you exactly. know, what, to, to, to almost the end, right? Whatever that end date is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, when you get taken out by an avalanche while you're skiing, you know, that's heli skiing or something like that. You know, I think, I think one of the big hurdles that people have in this whole, arena is that the world has normalized the aging process, right? And so you go to see your doctor. It's like, well, you're pretty good for your age. Um, you look at your peers. Well, I, I'm pretty good. I'm better than Billy over there. And I'm better than Sue over there. I'm pretty good. I must be doing pretty good, right? And But you've normalized this decline. And uh, it's all about, well, I'm going to retire. Um, so then I've got 10 things less on my left on my bucket list. And I'm going to you know, put my feet up and play some golf and whatever else. Um, but really, where's the big future in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's super important to, in this concept of making 100 to new 30, is to actually go back and claim an earlier age. So for example, I'm claiming 34 currently. So every morning when I wake up, I'm 34 years old. And I can tell you, just try that on for a minute. You know, if you're in the audience, just try on waking up and being... 34, 28, you know, whatever age you want to pick. And what does that do to your mindset, right? What does that do to your sense of perspective on what's possible? And there's, there's no reason it can't be totally possible. It's just, it's kind of a mindset shift, right? And so really, if you're going to have robust health and longevity and performance, the first thing that has to change is you have to change your mindset around the whole aging equation, if you will. So that's super yeah. Important. yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And, and I, I think, you know, again, we're on the same page when it comes to that. And that's why I, uh, I come to Gladden Longevity because you're helping me along that path. But, you know, I love the, 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 the uh, 100 is the new 30, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. awesome. What, uh, one of the things I, I uh, one of the things that uh, I get asked about quite a bit is what's the difference between health and longevity? Like, a lot of people just say, you know, and back to your back to your previous example, people go to their doctor, they get their blood test done and they go, oh, you're in range. Like you're good. Your health's good. And people mm -hmm. go, oh, I'm good. My health's good. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so can you just expand on that? Like the difference between health and being what people would say, I'm in good health versus longevity or anti-aging? Yeah, this is a multifaceted question and actually a very wise question that you're asking. So first off, you need to understand that blood tests are the results of those are normalized against the population. So if you're average for the population, your testosterone levels are average for a 72 year old man or a 64 or 52 year old man or whatever it is, you're normalized to that population. It doesn't mean that you're optimal, right? It doesn't mean that your NAD levels are optimal. It doesn't mean that your mitochondrial function is optimal. It just means that you're basically where you should be for your quote unquote age. Um, so the first thing to understand is that you really having blood work that comes back normal, um, is not really the answer. For example, when I was tested in my fifties, all my thyroid information came back, quote unquote, normal. It's like, you're normal. It's like, well, but I'm tired all the time. I have a hard time getting out of bed. And it wasn't until I did biometric testing actually, and saw that my resting metabolic rate was, was quite low, that my reflexes were quite slow that I realized that I had subclinical hypothyroidism. It doesn't show up on the blood test, right? And so once I figured that out, I started taking thyroid, but then we did genetic testing and found out that I don't convert inactive T4, which is released from your thyroid into the active hormone T3 
in my brain very well. In fact, I have an 80% reduction in my ability to do that. So my dad died with dementia and he was treated with Synthroid, which is just T4, right? And he may have had a similar kind of scenario. <clears throat> and so once I actually got on the right combination of T3 and T4, it's like the lights got turned back on. And that was dramatic. And that's something that would never be picked up in your executive physical because nobody's looking under the hood. Nobody's actually asking the question, why is this here in the first place, right? It's just about managing the symptoms. It's like your blood pressure is up, we'll give you something for that. But the bigger question is, why is it there, right? Why is it there in the first place? How do we unravel that knot? And that's what we do here is unravel those knots. So back to your question of health and longevity and how they interrelate, it's actually quite interesting. I was having dinner with Aubrey de Grey not too long ago at a conference, and we were talking about this very question. <clears throat> and it turns out that short-term health can really be misleading with regards to long-term longevity. In other words, you can change your diet, you can change your exercise, you can get in better shape, and yes, you will be healthier, and yes, you will avoid some of the things that will take you out because you're not healthy, but longevity is that, clearly that, but it's another sector altogether. It has to do with genetics and stem cell function and immunosenescence and protein folding and uh, nutrient sensing and all the different nine hallmarks of aging in, a different, in addition to different mindsets. And so when you're really looking at longevity, it's very important to take care of health, but you can't be sort of seduced into thinking that the fact that I'm healthy means that I'm also taking care of my longevity because it is another complementary pool that you need to play in to figure that out. And that's what we do. We, we work in really three circles is the way we talk about it. We have a circle of longevity uh, and then outside that a circle of health and outside of that a circle of performance. And there are, there are 18 levers on the circle of longevity that need to be activated. There are 36 areas in the circle of health and there are another 18 levers on the circle of, of uh, performance, if you will. And if you wanna perform well today, let's say you're 25 and you wanna perform well today, you'll perform well and better and longer if you're paying attention to all three circles. Just like if you're 55 or 65 or 85, you'll do much better if you're paying attention to all three circles because they're interrelated, but they're also distinct. So if you're just focused on health, like I'm gonna get healthy, it's not enough to actually activate all the longevity pieces that need to be there to support you beyond because living healthy gets you to 75, 80, 90 years old. But if you want to make 100 to new 30, you're going to be looking at different things. And that's, that's what we're in the thick of as well, attacking all those things. Yeah, that's a, uh, what a great answer, because I, I think there is a lot of confusion out there where people just think they're healthy, but, and they think they will live a long time because they're healthy and they may, right. They may genetically make it and everything else, but I'll even take one step further. I mean, there are, are many, un, I'll call unhealthy people that don't, mm -hmm. that aren't even hitting the norm in terms of their blood markers or readings or anything else. And they're still living to 85 or 90. No, no, right. not, uh, they're living. I wouldn't say they're performing or they're optimal, that's but right. they're living. So then, you know, you add health to the equation, which I think is what you're saying that, you know, we'll give you some more time, but to really plug in, you really need to pull the levers in terms of longevity. That's right. You need to understand those. And there's, uh, you know, there was just a study published in Italy, uh, looking at genetics around, uh, you're familiar with centenarians, right? People that make it to hundred, then there are semi-centenarians, which make it to 105 and super centenarians, which make it to 110. And they were looking at the genetics of semi and super centenarians. And they found that they have a higher probability of certain genes than the rest of us. So genes in general don't determine your longevity. Just because your dad died at 65 doesn't mean you're going to do that. Most of those things are modifiable. But when you want to get to those longer ages, being able to activate genetics, right, be able to turn them on, turn them off, or compensate for them becomes absolutely critical. And we're actually moving into an era where replacing genes is, is on the horizon. Some of this is already being done with regards to certain diseases, but I can tell you it's, it's not too far off, so. Awesome, no, that's great. I love the breakthroughs. And uh, when I, I listen, I'm a regular listener to your, to your LB120 and uh, 
I always love hearing the, the, the new breakthroughs that are coming because I know you're going to talk to me about them at some point. <laughs> so, um, yeah. no, your point, yeah, as you know, I've done, I've done a bike race in Italy for a number of years, uh, a gyro, a six-day multi-stage race in, uh, in Sardinia. And uh, I visited some of those communities with the longest living people in the world, yep. exponentially mm -hmm. longer, the centurions, as you say. And I mean, it's just amazing to see them. You go into the village and they're walking around and they're in their fields and they're herding the sheep. And it's just, it's, it's yep. great to see, right? I, and when I'm racing and I see them in the field, I say, I want to be like that person there. <laughs> right? Yeah, or better, or better or than better. that. Exactly. Or better, exactly. than that person. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, we hear about the Mediterranean diet, right? And it's like, well, maybe it's because they're eating the Mediterranean diet. And maybe it's the red wine they're drinking. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe it's the sunshine or whatever else. And it turns out that uh, there are multiple factors there. One is they're socially integrated, right, across the generations. Two is they have a lot of friends. Three is they're out and about, staying active, as you say, walking around, working in the garden, et cetera. But the real magic in their diet, the real magic in their diet are the herbs that they're eating, the fresh herbs that they're eating. And in particular, basil, summer savory, tarragon, and rosemary are like magic for your arteries. So you'll have people over there in Greece that, you know, they're smoking a cigarette, they're driving a glass of wine, they're 95 years old, they're joking with their, you know, great granddaughter or whatever. Um, and they have the arteries of a 25 year old, right? And it's not because of the smoking, it's not because of the red wine, it's because of all the fresh herbs in their diet. So we're not advocating smoking or drinking a lot of alcohol. But what I am saying is that there are mechanisms at play here that most people don't understand. And certainly your local doctor doesn't understand. Because when I was trained, we're all trained in a particular, you know, discipline. And we come out with a set of answers and we're not asking other questions. We're just asking what, what medication is going to lower your blood pressure. That's all we're asking, right? And, and we're handcuffed to the payer system. If the payers aren't paying for it, then we're not thinking about it. But when you really get under the hood, there are very clear reasons as to why your blood pressure is going up, as to why you're developing blockage in your arteries. And that's super exciting to, to unravel those knots. So. Oh, for sure. I mean, I can, I think, you know, my story, I was personally one of those people that I went to my doctor, you know, 10 years ago, and he says, and he had his prescription pad out for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, pre-diabetic. And, and, and when I kind of challenged him on it, he said, he says, Kev, you're in middle age, you know, it's your middle age. It's, you know, this is See, normal. Yeah. Like, this, this is, is normal. Like, we've normalized the aging process. Yeah. Totally, totally. So I'm glad I fought him on it. And I'm glad I, that you're in my past. Uh, connected through Dan Sullivan. So it's awesome. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? Because um, that that I, I I have, and I'm sure many of our listeners have, what is aging? Like, what is actually age? Like, we, we were born, and then we just go, everybody says, okay, we're going to age. What is yeah. aging? Like, what's actually going on in the body that's aging? And I, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a very sophisticated question, too. And it's actually uh, multifactorial, again, Right. So there are different elements that go on that contribute to the aging process. And what actually happens is they interlace with each other. So to give you an example, uh, when you're born, your telomeres, which are the end caps on your chromosomes, are fairly long. Uh, every time your cells divide, they get a little shorter, uh, four or five base pairs. As you go through life and cells are dividing, they get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, once they get down to about 5,000 base pairs, the cell be has the potential to become what's called a senescent cell. A senescent cell is, the way to think about it is, let's say you're running your company and let's say 15% of your employees are senescent. Well, that means they show up to work, they collect a paycheck, but they have their head down on their desk. They're not doing anything. And then over time, they become senescent. They become senescent cells that are secretory. And they basically then start sabotaging the Wi-Fi, the copier, uh, closing other people's laptops. And so now you have a polluted environment plus senescence. And now your workers, the ones that are the cells that are doing well, are also being re recruited to become senescent. And you have this downward spiral. This is why people's resilience declines in half about every eight years. Their ability to recover and their resilience declines by about half every eight years. So when you have this cascade of events, shortening telomeres, um, stem cells that are wearing out, an immune system that's becoming senescent. Um, senescent cells turn out to be kind of a common uh, denominator, if you will, of where things go. Protein misfolding, 
abnormal nutrient sensing, insulin levels that are high, uh, hormone levels that are low, um, excess oxidative stress, decreased mitochondrial function, which is how you generate energy. Um, all these things kind of, they kind of go down together. And it's in actual fact, it's the body trying to protect itself from different insults that sort of starts the ball rolling in conjunction with just things that are being worn as you go through life, like shortening telomeres and other things. So you get to this point where you just go over a cliff um, and, and there's, it's hard to kind of turn it back at that point in time, but it's really a constellation. There are nine hallmarks of aging and then there are other factors as well, but you put all those together and that's what's really what's driving it. And that's, and then to take that one step further than that is why as we age, as people age, their illness and disease kicks in. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. They don't, they don't gain disease. They actually lose health. They lose health. Yeah. We lose health as we age. That's what actually happens. And so being able to go back and reconstruct health for people uh, is really what we're all about. You know, how do you, how do you do this kind of things? Like, for example, in the last five months with some of the techniques that we're using now, I've changed my epigenetic age, which is, you know, my DNA age, the methylation age of my DNA uh, by 10 years. I'm 10 years younger in five months. My wow. telomeres are five years younger in five months. My immune system is that of a 33-year-old. My cardiovascular system, you have a very strong cardiovascular system, uh, is excellent for someone in their 20s. Um, and so we're all a mosaic of ages. So, you know, you may have, a, everybody's got a birthday, right? And you've got a chronological age, but you really want to know what's your brain age, what's your heart age, what's your blood vessel age, what's your liver age, your kidney age, right? Your immune system age, your DNA age, your telomere age. If you don't know the full mosaic, then you don't really know where you stand, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, if I was to ask you, I mean, uh, you're, I know your chronological age, but uh, what would you say if you put all those different things together? Is there, do you have a formula to come up with what your biological age is right now? Well, I, ep epigenetic age? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way that I look at it is this. Um, what's most important? Um, and, and if you average it all together, I'm probably not 34, um, but I wake up every day 34, right? It's the age that I claim because I'm on my path to becoming 30. And then I want to maintain that or less as we go to hundred. Um, but in aggregate, if you put it all together, I think yeah, probably, I'm probably somewhere in my forties at this point in time, maybe high forties, if it's all put together. Um, but I was born in 1954. So most people would say, well, that's, that's really good. That's really terrific, but it's not good enough for me. Right. Because, um, I have a bigger picture. So I think the thing to do is to have a mindset where you claim a younger age. In other words, I think I wake up every day, 34, and that has a dramatic impact on how I think, yeah. what am I going to do today? Exactly. That's awesome. Well, not just not just from a health standpoint, from a, a productivity standpoint, from the things you do, the activities you do. You think when That's you're right. 34, you're doing different activities. Well, you, you aren't because you're, you're, you're today you're doing those activities. But most people uh, at 65 are doing different activities than they were at 35. Right. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of acquiescing, it's a sense of no, let's be grateful. What a beautiful day. I have my whole life ahead of me. I have yeah. my whole life ahead of me. Yeah, what a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know through Strategic Coach, you and I, one of the things that I've learned that's been a game changer for me was the 25-year plan, right? Because mm -hmm. it slows everything yeah. down. You go, okay, where are we going to be 25 years from now? And most people in our age bracket are, as you say, buttoned down the hatches, getting ready for retirement. And we're going, okay, here's where we're going for the next 25 years. Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. the fun. It's the juice, right? I mean, I think I think when we're being creative, when we're growing, when we're learning, and that's the juice in life, when we're creating new relationships or enhancing current relationships, that's really the juice in life. I mean, why give that up? Why would you ever give that up? No, no, for sure. No, for sure. Well, you can just tell every time I talk to you, I just, you're, you are always excited, upbeat, and, and I'll say 34 year old, you're probably like a 23 year old. <laughs> so when I'm sitting across for those listening on this podcast, you're, uh, you're not seeing Jeff uh, live, but I am. And he actually looks like he's about 34. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So Jeff, I got a few questions for you. I know you've read my book. Um, and yes. I just like to ask you a few questions around, uh, around that, if you don't mind. And, and Absolutely. just, uh, and, and I'll, if you can ask, if you can, 
uh, I guess, give me your opinion in terms of longevity and not just health. So sure. one of the concepts in my book is uh, the wheels of health that I talked about. And, and mm-hmm. you have to, you know, not only do you have to score each of them fairly high, but you want them to be in balance. And those wheels are eating well, uh, sleeping well, mindfulness or stress management, call it, and movement yeah. or exercise. Yeah. So can you just comment on from a, I'll say from a longevity standpoint, does that concept A make sense? And, and what importance would you on would you put on having those wheels in balance? And I know it's a real simple concept, but you know, just wondering how that yeah. fits in your whole longevity. Uh, yeah, it fits, it fits in perfectly, actually. In the uh, 18 levers of longevity that we have, actually stress management is, is one of those levers. It's that central to the longevity process. Um, and the reason is, is that high stress shortens telomeres. It ages people. It raises cortisol. It diminishes your immune system function. It makes you vulnerable to COVID. It makes you vulnerable to anything else, cancer, for example. And so managing stress is, is hugely important. And most people, um, you know, ourselves included, we leverage our health for the sake of building our business, building our family or whatever else. And in that, in that leveraging of our health, we take on a lot of stress and that stress actually accelerates the aging. I mean, look at, look at the presidents of the United States, right? I mean, look how much they age while they're in office, how much more gray hair they have at the end of it. Right. And so, um, Stress is, is, is a central concept. I think the idea of eating well, you'll never get away from that. I think um, eating well really translates into performance, but it also translates into inflammation and it translates into um, you know, your gut biome and how well that works and a leaky blood brain barrier and lots of other things. So getting your diet right is very important. The problem is that everybody wants to eat better, but nobody actually knows what that means. Right. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what that means for them. And so what we do is take that apart and start it at a genetic level and figure out who are you? How are you built? How are you built to eat? Right. And then layer on the other things. What's your gut doing? How's your digestive tract doing? What's your what are your what's your immune system doing? Uh, what are you what's your nutrient status? And then once you get all that together, then you can actually be prescriptive about what somebody should eat. And they, for the first time, they can have confidence about what they should eat. But you'll never get away from diet as being a major contributor to health and also in that context, longevity. And then motion or exercise um, is massively uh, important. You, you know, your, your body is made to be stressed and your, the stresses that we like to talk about are hormetic stresses, right? Hormetic stresses is one that stresses your body enough that it can react to that stress and get stronger. So exercise is the prime example, right? You lift a weight. Two days later, your arm's a bit stronger. You did a little damage, microscopic damage to it, but now it recovers and grows stronger. Um, the ability to do that goes down with age, right? Because you're hormonally depleted. Your mitochondria don't work as well. There's more inflammation. You have more difficulty. So unless you're taking measures to preserve that capacity, um, you're in trouble. There are other hormetic stresses too, as you know, like cold plunges and saunas and intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting, speaking of diet, is a, is a critical piece um, because your body needs to cycle through being in a building phase and then being in a phase where it's tearing down and recycling. Um, so getting those things right is, is very important too. So stress, eating, uh, exercise, and mindfulness, <clears throat> we find that mindfulness is critical too. So that's also, believe it or not, one of the 18 levers in our longevity circle uh, is mindfulness a sense of being centered, a sense of having sort of spiritual equanimity, uh, making peace with the world, the universe, feeling the love that's there, feeling the joy. Well, I mean, what a gift it is to be alive every day, right? Yeah. And basically starting your day dialed into that, it's like, sure, there are things going on, but man, I get to be here. This is awesome, right? And so coming from that place of being centered and then meditation, um, we, we find that to be to be very, very helpful. That Those four in of itself, very, very helpful. Not enough, quite honestly, to crack the code, but but certainly the place to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, it, it's interesting you say that because that's my book. It wasn't on necessarily anti-aging. It was more on, it, I, I would say that other component you talked about, which is health and yeah. perhaps a bit on performance as well. 
right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, and you, and you, I mean, what you do and what you do for me and our other clients is you take all of that to another level through, through uh, your anti-aging, which is amazing. Um, a couple things, I'll just dive into each of those wheels a bit, because I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, some of these things that, that have worked for me. And I realize one size doesn't fit all, but I just like, you know, your, your perspective on, does it, do these things make sense from a longevity standpoint? Um, so one of the things that I talk about all the time is, a, is something called the Wilson shake, because my mm -hmm. dog lived till 18 years old on the Wilson shake. And the Wilson shake okay. is how I start pretty much every morning, right? Which is a two liter Vitamix. I grab uh, organic berries out of the freezer and then I look in my fridge and whatever vegetables are in there again, all organic, but I'll put some herbs in there and I'll put, uh, you know, some spirulina and lettuce, maybe some carrots, maybe even a salad left over from last night and I'll dump it in. And yep. uh, then I'll put uh, your aminos, perfect aminos yep. in or some uh, plant-based protein powder, some spirulina, some corella, maybe some flax seed, some uh, chia seed. And I blend that baby up and that's how I pretty much start every day with a two liter, two liter shake uh, called the Wilson shake. Yeah, no, I think it's a great concept. Um, you know, one thing that we have found for most people is that they, they actually do better uh, being plant-based, even if they're paleo, even if they're keto, even if whatever, but having more plants in their diet is good. So then the question is, well, then the foundation for that is kind of a quote unquote salad, right? Where you're gonna have lots of different veggies, but not a salad like you'd order in a restaurant. We're talking about something similar to your shake where you've got different vegetables and greens and herbs and you know all kinds of things, things in there. And then the question is, well, how do I, how do I eat a salad you know, three times a day? Cause I don't wanna eat a salad three times a day. Well, one way to do it is to put it into a shake. Right. So now you've got a, a shake that's essentially a salad. Right. And it's got some protein at it. And then you can have a salad for lunch. Uh, and then we like the concept of making soup into a salad. Right. You can you can have a soup and then just dump your salad into that soup. All those veggies, all that stuff. It'll be the best tasting soup you ever had. Um, but it's another way to get those plant based uh, molecules into your body. Yeah. Good. So I hear that's a uh, that's a that's a check mark. <laughs> the Wilson yeah. shake. Um, so my, yeah. the next thing I was going to ask you about is I have gone mainly plant-based over the last number of years. As you know, I do eat some, you know, wild, I'll say fish, uh, not farmed and, uh, but, but generally I'm plant-based and you've already answered my question on that. Um, I think, unless you want to add anything else. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's, I think being plant-based is good. I, I personally can't be vegan. I just don't run well on vegan just like I don't run well on keto. Um, and I think it's important for the audience not to get married to a plan like, oh, that sounds good, I'm gonna do that. You know, it's, then you're getting married to an answer. What you really wanna be married to is the question, you know, what is actually right for me and how do I figure that out, right? And so, because it's different for everyone and, and the ingredients in your shake work well for you, but they may not work as well for the next guy, right? I mean, maybe his yeah. insulin resistance is off or something like that. So I think being plant-based is good. And then I think if you're going to eat fish, I think wild caught fish, uh, small, cold water, wild caught fish, salmon, trout, mackerel, sardines, herring, uh, things like that, that are, are low in mercury, higher in omega-3s. And then there are people that really are gravitating more towards wild game because even grass-fed beef is typically fed grass and then finished off with corn and they still got the antibiotics and they still got this and that. So there are sources of true grass fed, grass finished, no hormones, no antibiotics, but you got to go to specialty kind of ranches to order that. Um, and other people are going, no, I'll just go with wild game, right? And so more of a wilditarian kind of uh, concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you're, you're dead on. I mean, so that's why I say I'm plant-based. I don't say I'm vegan or I say I'm plant-based and people say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, I, uh, largest part of my, my diet is, is plants, right? Yeah. So it's, exactly. it's plant-based, right? Cause I agree with you. People get too hung up on the term, like I'm vegan or I'm pescatarian or people ask me, I just say, oh, I'm plant-based. That's, right. that's what <laughs> that's I pretty, say too. That's what yeah. I say too. Yeah. It's pretty simple. So, um, and, and in terms of the hormones and all that type of thing, I read a quote, I'm not sure if it was in Dr. Michael Greger's book or one of, or Colin Campbell, but you, 
you 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 are eating what they eat, right? So that's so right. In other words, whatever you eat, whether it's a fish or whether it's yeah. a cattle or whatever, just think what did they eat? And if it's clean and it's good, then probably what you're eating is probably clean and good, right? That's it's right. Kind of yeah, it's just it's just hard to find the clean and good these days, right? It's hard yeah. to find clean good food. That's probably one of the biggest challenges out there. So yeah, clean, good, very nutrient dense foods. Um, and there was a scale developed by a guy, Dr. Furman, in conjunction with Whole Foods, uh, and he created an aggregate nutrient density index called the Andy scale, A-N-D-I. And it used to be published in Whole Foods. You could walk in and see the Andy scale, but essentially they were looking at what is the nutrient density of any food that you eat? And the scale went from zero to a thousand. And it's very revealing because, you know, a Coke would be like one. French fries were like five. A Big Mac would be like seven or eight. The best meat was a bison filet at 39, right? Well, how do you get, how do you get to triple digits in this world, right? So, but kale, Swiss chard, um, arugula, things like that are very high. Um, and so, you know, kale's like a thousand, Swiss chard, collard greens are all a thousand. So if you want to get this really high nutrient density, eating those kinds of foods and eating sprouts actually from that, you'll find that you just feel really good. I mean, you just feel really good because the problem in life is people are overfed and undernourished. And that's when you find yourself reaching for the cookie, reaching for this, reaching for that, because your, your body's trying to get what it wants, but all you're giving it is empty calories. So if you're eating these nutrient dense foods, it really helps mitigate, you know, the sugar cravings and all that stuff. And I know you know that. So, yeah. And I, I can speak from personal experience. Like I, you know, it's funny when you're talking about the shake, cause that really is my salad. Then I have a huge salad with lunch with whatever I'm having. And then I have a huge salad at dinner, but right. I went a day or two without salad this week. I'm not even sure why. And then I, I was craving salad, right. Which exactly. years ago, I wouldn't have craved salad. So let's, uh, while we're on food, um, and we'll, we'll probably finish off with this, but intermittent fasting. So I know that's a big term. Walter Longo's done a lot of work. There's a lot of mm -hmm. proponents of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, can you, for our audience, because there's a lot of different definitions out there in terms of what intermittent fasting is, would you mind just sharing A, what it sure. means and what, you're, what you would say is a good protocol if you haven't done one before? Yeah, so we're back to this um, idea of hormetic stress, right? You want to stress your body. Your body is meant to be stressed. The problem, one of the problems we have in Western society is that we're addicted to luxury, right? We have valets, we have escalators, we have cars, we have, you know, things that are actually moving us away from any kind of real stress. But it turns out that these hormetic stresses really activate our longevity genetics, whether it's in a sauna, in a cold plunge with exercise or fasting. And fasting, basically, you can fast for 12 hours a day, 18 hours a day. The longer you go, um, the more your body is forced to start to recycle nutrients, if you will. And so in our bodies, there are misfolded proteins. There are things that are kind of gunking up the cells. They're not as um, helpful as they could be. And you turn on a process called autophagy, which actually means self-eating. It's basically to eat yourself. And so in that autophagy process, you're actually recycling, but you're also getting rid of all the things that really keep yourselves from performing at a high level. So intermittent fasting, going without food for a day, going out without food for 48 hours, going without food for 18 hours, uh, condensing your calorie intake into a six hour window. You want to be, as I said, you want to basically cycle through things, right? Whether it's sleep um, and circadian rhythm is also in our circle of longevity. You mentioned sleep in your wheels. Um, you, you know, you, you don't want to be anabolic all the time. A lot of people think, well, the answer to aging is I'll take testosterone or I'll add an estrogen or progesterone and I'll do some growth hormone and I'll lift weights and I'll go for a run and I look better and I feel better and my muscles are bigger. I must be doing the right thing. Well, guess what? That's only half the equation, because if that's all you're doing, you die sooner. The more that you press on the anabolic side of things, the quicker you die. Every study has always shown that. That being said, you don't want to end up as a wafer at age 100 with no muscle, no bone density, uh, you know, and thin skin, right? So it's a question of cycling into the anabolic phase where you're building, but then cycle out. Don't eat 
Don't take your testosterone. Don't use anything to stimulate growth hormone and let your body kind of go through that autophagy phase. And you'll find that in that cycling process, you actually end up getting the best of both worlds. You actually stay strong and fit and you also are activating your longevity genetics alternately. So I think there's, there's really wisdom in the balance. In fact, biology is an economy of balance. It's not an economy of, we're gonna press on this pedal all the time. We don't want it, you know, if more is good, then more, even more must be better. It doesn't work like that in biology. Biology is an economy of balance. It has a way of balancing itself out. So you need to cycle through these different phases, intermittent fasting being one of them. Yeah, great, great advice. And I, I, as you were speaking, I was thinking of even training when, you know, Olympic athletes or any athletes, you go through phases of training. Right? Absolutely. You yeah, know, you know, this well. I mean, you're a world-class athlete. I don't know if your audience knows that, but you are truly a world-class athlete. We've measured you and, and seen what you can do and you're phenomenal, but you know, in your own training that, that you need to be on the gas and you need to be off the gas. You need to, recovery is as important as training, right? Uh, and so the same thing is true. You don't want to be exposed to calories all the time. Your body never gets a chance to recover from that load. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, great, great uh, input. Um, and I'm glad you said the cold plunge because I was still swimming in my uh, lake and had to actually cut a hole in the ice up till I think it was December 15th. It was <laughs> my last cold plunge, but I people think I'm nuts because I still to this day have a cold shower. I think for the last two years, as long as I've been coming to you every morning, I might have missed four or five mornings because I just maybe felt like a flu might be coming on or that type yeah. of thing. But yeah. I still every morning just crank it cold. So uh, yeah, people actually say, yeah, they say you really do that. So um, I, you know, we really didn't dive into the other areas. So I'd love to have you do back, Dr. Gladden, and, and yeah. also, uh, you know, perhaps even go through some of my own results, that, just so people get a get an idea of the work that you do in the clinic, because uh, you've been so helpful to myself personally, but so many of sure. our members as well. But just to close up, uh, I know this is uh, this is probably a tough one, but if uh, for our listeners, if there's one thing or one or two tips that you can say, okay, I'm going to start doing this today or tomorrow, and something I, I would think pretty simple. What and I'll say from a longevity standpoint, what, what would that be? I think the first thing is um, is to take a good look at your mindset, right? And think about you know, how are you thinking about aging? Is it something you've normalized? Are you getting ready to wind down? Or do you want to go back and claim a younger age, right? I think getting your mindset about around this is super important. And I will tell you that uh, we live in a day and age where we're actually, we feel like we're cracking the code on this. I, I mentioned earlier that we're turning back to clock and individuals and, and it's really going to be possible to live a long time, be super healthy, and super active and perform, but you're never going to get there if you don't have that mindset, right? So you have to have that mindset of being young. I want to, I want to be young, right? Then the second thing I think is what questions are you asking? Because you're only going to get the answers to the questions that you're asking in life. If you're asking, how do I retire? How do I put my feet up? How do I do this or that? How do I, you know, whatever, those are the answers you're going to get. So what questions are you actually asking? And what are you asking with regards to your own health and longevity? If you're asking, how do I be robust at 100? How do I ski when I'm 95 and 100 with my great grandkids? You'll, those answers are out there. So I think those two things are probably the two biggest generalizable things that you do. And then back to your four, your four wheels are, are a great place to start. So I would, I would layer that in as well. But just realize that um, it is not... We're, I mean, we're the luckiest generation of all time. It is not like it's been in the past. We really are going to be able to do this. And, um, you know, I, I've been taken by a quote that says that initially things seem impossible. And then as you work away at them, they become improbable. And then eventually they become inevitable. And I feel like we're actually in the phase where things are becoming inevitable about our ability to really have robust health and longevity. Um, but you'll never get there. You'll never get there if you're doing everything that everybody else is. If you're normalizing the process, you have to step out of that norm. You have to step out of the, what your peer group is doing and say, no, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to think differently about this. If you have the courage to do that, it can be done. 
That's uh, what a great way to end the podcast. And, and thank you for that. And, you know, you've put a, a, I'll say a shining light, a spotlight on the mindset and just how important that is to not only get this process going, but keep it going as well. Right. Which Absolutely. is, which is, which is awesome. So Dr. Gladden, I know you've got a flight to uh, catch, but on behalf of myself, uh, Advocate Health and all our listeners, I want to say so grateful to have you on our podcast today. Uh, I mean, the, what you covered in uh, the last 50 minutes has been uh, amazing. And again, we'd love to have you back on another show. Sure. Um, and I'll just ask in terms of people getting connected, I know any of our advocate members can obviously reach uh, through through us and our network in order to plug yeah. them into uh, longev uh, longevity. But how else is there other, are there other ways? Yeah, the best way probably to learn more about us would be and to contact us would be through gladdenlongevity.com. And as you know, we're not the most uh, economical. We're not the cheapest option in town. We only work with people a year at a time. And our best clients are really the ones that are asking the same questions we are, which is how good can I be? How do I make 100 to new 30? And how do I live well past 120? And if people are really serious about that, then we can we can transform your life, quite honestly. And, th and that's the joy that we take. We're not here to fix somebody's knee or elbow, although we can totally do that, but we're really looking to work with people that are asking those bigger questions. And the other, the other place to get good information from us is uh, at Living Beyond 120, well, livingbeyond120.com, which is the podcast that Mark Young and I do. And I think we're coming up on our 100th podcast. So there's a, there's a whole wealth of information inside those podcasts that people can avail themselves of. Yeah, great. So there you have it. Uh, great way to uh, to connect uh, with Dr. Gladden, and and uh, I can personally attest to it because, as I say, I'm a I'm a patient and a member as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, LB120 is on my uh, favorite podcast list, and I'm driving up north tonight, and I'll be listening to your latest ones. So, yeah. So thanks again, Jeff. Super appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, Kevin, congratulations on your book. I think it I think it's meeting a real need and I, I congratulate you on taking the time to to put out such a thoughtful, useful piece of literature, quite honestly. So thanks for that. Awesome. Thank you. Be well. Safe travels. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For all of our listeners, I invite you to visit AdvocateHealth.com where you can easily become an Advocate member to take advantage of some of the amazing services we offer. You can also access our latest blogs and listen to some of the best medical advice available on our podcast. Don't forget to grab a copy of my latest book, It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy, that is available to order through our website. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.